Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Tuesday. We've got a lot to talk about in the show ahead. We're going to begin by speaking with Leah Biondo, the Executive Vice President of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, about some changes coming with cell-cultured meat. Leah will join us in just a moment. And in segment two, Darren Newsom of Newsom Analysis will be on the show. Wheat closed down double digits yesterday, opened in the overnight. We're double digits higher so far today. Darren's going to give his thoughts on what's driving these markets here this Tuesday. And in segment three, we're going to dig in on another one of those Climate Smart Ag Partnership grants that was awarded last week by the USDA. Today, we're going to be talking with the American Farmland Trust. They got a $30 million grant to look at beef sustainability. We're going to get their thoughts on what that looks like longer term. And then finally, in segment four, yesterday, the House Ag Committee held a hearing on rural broadband. Huge investments were made in that space during the Infrastructure and Jobs Act last summer. We're going to check in with Brian Dietz, who's a communications department at the NCTA, the Television and Internet Association. We'll talk about just how those investments are coming and when will they start bearing fruit here for rural America. But let's begin with Leah Biondo. Leah, thank you so much for joining us here. U.S. Cattlemen's Association called out last week a statement made by President Biden during his White House meeting. What had you folks concerned? Hey, Leah, I don't know if we got you there. It sounds like we might be having a little bit of a technical difficulty. Leah, are you back with us? All right, folks, give us just a moment. We're going to feel out, uh, figure out what is happening there uh, with Leah Biondo. We'll get her back on in just a moment. However, I will set up the scene a little bit. Last Monday, the Biden administration held a press conference and they released an executive order touting biomanufacturing. And uh, they really want to encourage the manufacturing of, of things made from molecules or, excuse me, microbes, biological um parts and uh, they're looking to get that encouraged here in the country and they also made a comment on cell cultured meat leah biondo we have you with us here now we do yes thank you so let's talk about what was the comment the president made that that had your audience get a little concerned yeah so there was a comment that kind of snuck under the radar last week on monday the president issued an executive order promoting biotechnology this is a good thing right we feed our livestock genetically modified crops we use uh, bio manufactured vaccines it's in the stating that agriculture for how to advance uh, alternative food sources. So you can see the play on words there. It didn't come out explicitly and say uh, cell cultured proteins or foods produced using cell cultured technology, but they used this phrase, cultivating alternative proteins or alternative food sources. And um, that's what gave us pause. And so when we went and checked uh, some of the reporters' logs, uh, we, we learned that, yes, the White House does mean cell cultured proteins in, in this um, executive order. And, and we learned that from a senior White House official who said point blank, yes, we would like to encourage the advancement of cell cultured foods. 
And cell culture to meat, obviously, it's we're not quite there yet, Leah, in terms of having it available to the market, but it does appear to be coming. And one of the concerns that U.S. Cattlemen Association members have when you see the USDA look to fund this kind of research. Yeah, you're right. So there is no cell culture foods currently available in retail stores, at least in the U.S. and other countries. They've found ways to offer uh, samples and taste tests, but in the U.S. here, we are um, a little wild away from seeing those products in the retail marketplace. You might see the Beyond Burger, the Impossible Burger. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about that Petri dish protein, the cells that are lab, uh, marinating in a growth hormone serum, and then uh, stripped off of that protein or that Petri dish and, and offered to consumers for public consumption. And so we don't see that available yet. So the concern here is just to make sure that we've established a safe regulatory framework and that these products can't call themselves meat or beef. All right. And Leah, I understand U.S. Cattlemen's Association will be having their annual meeting a little bit later this fall. I assume this is a topic that will be under discussion there at the conference. Of course, yes. Truth and labeling is always a hot topic at the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. If that's something that's important to you, please do come join us. We're at uscattlemen.org. You can find all the details there. And uh, Leah, before we let you go, though, when is that conference and what else will be on the agenda? Yeah, so we'll be in Nashville December 8th through the 10th of this year. Also on the agenda is, uh, in addition to truth and labeling, we'll have a cattle market forecast with TV auctions, Corbett Wall, Brett Crosby, and others. Um, we're also looking to do a consumer's perspective panel, and this one might pique some of y'all's interest on Bitcoin and beef. What are the similarities? What are the differences? You'll have to come to Nashville to find out. So, Oh, Network Leah, I was going to say, could you give us a taste? That is an interesting <laughs> seminar topic. And I saw uh, uh, President Miller was tweeting about it earlier today. What prompted you folks to, to include that this year? Yeah, it's an exciting new trend that's happening that we're seeing among a certain segment of producer or consumers who are interested in decentralized systems, whether that's a decentralized food system, decentralized currency, ways that they can kind of, you know, make it on their own with their own. And um, the idea that uh, these consumers are out there really advocating for our product, purchasing it with Bitcoin, that's really interesting to us. You know, we're we want to hear more from these consumers who are buying for our product in this unique new way. So we'll have a whole panel of, of um, folks, some ranchers who are uh, in this, what's called the Beef Initiative. You can find more on our, on our social media pages, some consumers and some Bitcoin enthusiasts. So you'll have to come to the meeting to learn more. It should be an awesome time and an opportunity to network not only with these industry leaders, but with uh, cattle producers across the country. And Leah, while I've got you here, I've got to pick your brain a little bit. Farm bill conversations are ramping up across the country. Have you been having any of those dialogues with uh, USCA members? <laughs> you must have heard the background noise here. I'm actually in the rotunda of the Russell Senate building right now. And so we are having those conversations. Yes, farm bill's right around the corner. What's going to be in it? Well, USDA is still um, nailing down their final farm bill priorities. You know we're going to be talking disaster assistance. Um, uh, risk protection programs for livestock producers, beef checkoff program reform, and um, some other ideas here that are floating around. So we haven't finalized yet our specific priorities, but we do have these overarching goals that we're looking to um, include in any farm bill conversations.
All right. Well, Leah, if we've got listeners who want to have a voice in shaping those policies there at the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, tell us your website one more time and how can they get registered for that winter conference? Yes, that's uscattlemen.org. And you can click on the banner on the homepage to take you to the meeting registration site. Fantastic, folks. Check that out. We've been talking with Leah Biondo. She's an executive vice president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. Leah, thank you for highlighting that issue with Cell Cultured Meat. We appreciate your time today. And folks, stick around. We'll be talking with Darren Newsom of Newsom Analysis here when AOA returns after the break. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend-to-Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend-to-Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. Every day has challenges. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. Success is what matters to me and my family. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Now is the time to define your future at channel.com slash future. Today's cereal plant breeders efforts now contribute up to 70% of your farm yields, up from 50% via better plant genetic potential. The Seed Innovation Protection Alliance member companies want to earn your business as they reinvest 15% of their sales into better genetics with new traits for higher yield, improved end-use quality, and crop vigor for a changing environment. Join us in reinvesting in your future. Buy new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and dealers. To report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends, surprise parties, camps, birthdays. The same way you plan for the important moments, start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Get started at ready.gov plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. 
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We have seen a lot of volatility in the commodity markets for the better part of the last 24 months. And, well, that volatility continues. Joining us today to help us make sense a little bit of what's going on in these markets is Darren Newsom of Newsom Analysis. Darren, this wheat market continues to be crazy, down double digits yesterday, up double digits so far today. What's happening in the wheat market? Anything fundamental changing? No, no. Um, now, I say that. There, there's obviously something going on in the background to cause these swings. I mean, other than just wheat being wheat. Now, the one headline that I've seen come out today, and it wouldn't have anything to do with yesterday's activity, but the, the, the headline that I've seen come out today is that Russia is planning on doing even more mobilization of its army after the series of defeats that it's faced in Ukraine. Uh, plus, it's trying to officially annex four of those Ukrainian areas. Now, whether or not this got the attention of wheat traders overnight or whether it's just, you know, there wasn't any reason for the 25-cent sell-off in Chicago wheat on Monday, so what the heck, let's rally at 27 to 30 cents on, uh, on Tuesday. So there's some of that as well, but we do have to keep a close eye on what's going on over in Ukraine, and we knew that Russia was going to do something after the recent defeats. Yeah, you're right. The, the Vladimir Putin does not seem to take losses well, Darren. So as you think about this wheat market, of course, harvest is wrapping up here across the United States. Where do you see prices moving into the fall? Are we just going to be headline driven volatile? It shouldn't be, but it's wheat, so it will be. But to me, the spotlight needs to be on that new crop Kansas City market. Uh, you know, I mean, as bright a spotlight as possible, because we have inverted future spreads. The market is just screaming at us that we have a tight supply situation, not only for the 2022-23 marketing year, but going out to 23-24, looking ahead at that July 2023 contract. Uh, the reason, you know, the, the latest drought monitor has much of the hardware growing area under extreme drought situations, again, going into planting season, or as planting season continues to roll along. So it's getting off to a very dry start, and it doesn't look like it's going to change all that much over the early part of fall and possibly into the winter. So we're going to have another dry situation across the plains. We already have a tight supply situation of hard red winter wheat. Hard red spring merchandisers are buying some hard red winter as blending stock because there's a smaller spring wheat crop as well. So there's demand coming from all over for hard red winter, plus always have the global situation going on and the weather looks to me like the new crop hard red winter should be in the spotlight so darren if it's in the spotlight and as you mentioned you've got the supply uh, issues being favorable for it, you've got the demand issues being favorable and you've got this broad macro concern about inflation fear for what's going on over in eastern europe looking at a chart where do you see that kc wheat contract potentially heading what are you watching as some price levels you know, as I look at that July contract, uh, you know, already jumping out to July, it's got a contract high sitting up there at, uh, uh, where was that? That was up at uh, 1210. Do I think we should take that out? Probably not. But 
we can make a run at it. I mean, we could, we could certainly get back above 10, uh, possibly make a run at 11. And then if we don't see it, uh, you know, if, if weather doesn't improve over the long run, uh, you know, we could challenge that contract high that was established, oh, what, this past May. So, I mean, there's a lot of life left in that July Kansas City contract, but it still comes back to one thing I was taught many years ago. One bushel of wheat left over at the end of any marketing year is one too many. And so we always have to deal with that when we're talking about wheat. It's such a global market, and if the dollar wants to stay strong, it's going to make it that much more difficult for wheat to, get, to really extend uh, much of a rally. All right, Darren. Well, let's turn our focus over to global corn supply. Saw an announcement yesterday that European corn crop continues to shrink. How much does this help American corn exports as we get through this marketing season? Well, I mean, we know that the world's going to be knocking on the U.S. door. We, we know that because we can see basis is strong. Future spreads are bullish. We've known this for over a year. So it's going to continue to provide support. And I don't see it going away anytime soon. Uh, you know, right now, as harvest is, is rolling along, uh, at least the early stages, we're really hearing of merchandisers pushing basis so much. You know, some of them are even waiving drying fees with the cost of what that is. You know, they're waiving that just to get their hands on short-term supplies. So we know it's a very tight situation. We know this year's crop's not going to solve anything. So, yeah, I think this is going to last with us. And I think we're going to see U.S. exports stay strong at least for the first six to nine months of the new marketing year. All right, Darren, on soybeans, do you expect to see that level of strength in the export program, or has Argentina eaten too much of our lunch here in the short term? Yeah, I don't know that Argentina's really done all that much. You know, all the headlines that we see coming out of Argentina is that, you know, we've got, it's got weather problems here, there, and everywhere else. Yes, I know they've turned their soybeans into currency, but the reality is soybeans have been currency down there for decades. So it's really not anything new. It's just official now. So I don't really see Argentina stealing a lot of business from the U.S. I think as we go along, we're going to continue to see those sales. The bottom line is we know the world's largest buyer does not want to buy from the U.S. It's a secondary supplier. So if it can get its soybeans from anywhere else, it will. But for right now, U.S. has a tight supply and it needs to, and, and China needs to lock in what it can get its hands on. All right, Darren. Well, how do you think that should impact growers' marketings of soybeans here as we get into harvest? We've got a lot of folks. The crop is looking better than anticipated. I know we got some folks who, who are looking worse, but for those folks with more bushels on hand, how do you weigh that storage versus marketing decision off the combine? Yeah, this is what I like to call the, the gambler's secret, taken straight, straight from the song. You got to know uh, what to throw away or sell, and you got to know what to keep or, or hold or, or store. And right now, if I'm, if I'm weighing, the, the, you know, looking at, you know, basis for both corn and soybeans, future spreads for both corn and soybeans, it's telling me to move corn into this market and maybe hold soybeans back. If I've got November, if I've got November hedges on against my soybeans, you know, maybe roll those out to January because basis tends to appreciate out through the end of December until we have a better feel for the South American crop. Right now, there, you know, as I, as I mentioned, basis is screaming hot for uh, for uh, for corn. So Newsom's rule number two says let the market dictate our actions. So let's just do that. Let's let's sell corn into this market, possibly hold back some soybeans, uh, and see if we can continue to feed that as as demand stays strong uh, through the fall and winter. All right, Darren. Well, with those commercials moving in, pushing that basis, really needing that corn, are we seeing the non-commercials, that managed money, look at commodities with that same love in their eyes they had back in the springtime? You know, we're starting to, we've been seeing it in corn now for quite some time. 
Uh, in fact, you know, last Friday, CFTC uh, Legacy Futures only report showed them they built their net long back to new 294,600 contracts. So, you know, they've been buying since, uh, you know, late, mid to late July. So it's not too big of a surprise that they're, they're getting more interested in corn. What we're really starting to see right now is that same interest starting to come over into soybeans. It's been a while, uh, but the, just now they're starting to build up some soybean interest. So I think, you know, as we go further into the fall, I think you're going to see more buying coming into soybeans, you know, good support in the corn market because the fundamentals aren't going anywhere. Uh, but I think you're going to see more uh, non-commercial buying actually start to come into soybeans. Darren, what are you hearing in South America? I know those Brazilian farmers just got the green light to start putting some seeds in the ground. Are you anticipating much bigger acreage from uh, Brazil? It would not be surprising to see more acres uh, planted in, in Brazil. But again, it comes down to weather. And, you know, everything I've heard so far is that, there's, you know, like everywhere else in the world, it's going to be facing a third year of La Nina, third consecutive year of La Nina. So, you know, what this does to production, you know, is still up in the air. Uh, but if we look at that Nov July spread, it's covering, what, 6%, 7% calculated full commercial carry. Commercial's not willing to bet big on the, on the uh, that, that we're going to have a huge South American crop. So right now it just still seems long-term bullish, and that takes into account what we could see coming out of Brazil, meaning there's still some concern of overall production. All right, Darren, before we let you go, U.S. dollar still hanging out near 20-year highs with the Fed meeting later this week. Do you anticipate that strength to stick with us? You know, I think, it's, I think, I think, it's, I think it could. Uh, I really think it could. You know, it's going to come down to the bets again. You know, who's betting on a 75 basis point increase? Who's betting on 100? Uh, if it comes in at 75, maybe we see some pressure in the dollar. Um, if it comes in at a full 100, 100 basis points on Wednesday, Maybe that uh, maybe that gives the you know the buyers another chance to get back in. So I think it's just going to come down to something that simple. Uh, but you know the Fed's been front running this. Uh, they've been telling everyone there's going to be an aggressive hike. I like that. They're not trying to surprise the market in any way, shape, or form. So now we just have to see what they actually come out with. We do indeed. We'll be watching for that to come out on Wednesday. Darren Newsom writes at darrennewsom.com. Darren, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me on again, Mike. And folks, stick around. We're going to talk climate smart partnerships in the beef industry when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron synthetic diesel engine oils, oils that run smart. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today 
or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at what's happening in the grain and livestock trade so far on Tuesday, we see good strength in the wheat market, moving double digits higher there. Corn is also up moderately, with the soybean market fairly quiet on the day on Tuesday so far. While we see cattle futures mixed and we see lean hogs, they are mixed as well. Really, the market's fairly quiet as we see the FOMC meeting getting going on Tuesday with everyone expecting a 75 basis point interest rate hike coming on Wednesday. That has a lot of traders nervous. We saw funds, big sellers of wheat and corn on Monday's action while they were net buyers of soybeans and soybean meal. The Dow Jones down about 375, almost 400 points, while crude oil down about $1.78 a barrel, 83.95. As we work through our trade action on Thursday. Now, also, USDA's weekly crop progress report showed continued deterioration of the nation's corded soybean crops over the past week. And we also see that active harvest progress should be seen over the next 10 days, as we've already seen a little bit of early harvest get going across the country. And we have good weather here for the next uh, 10 days to week ahead. Now, the corn balance sheet is most concerning with another big soybean harvest likely in Brazil in four months. Could be watching the harvest activity here in the U.S. to see what those final yields are for corn and soybeans as we move forward. Meantime, in the livestock trade, fairly mixed action there. As I mentioned, we've had some good technical support uh, in the hog market develop here in the last couple of days. While cattle futures were fairly choppy, they're going to be waiting for cash activity, it appears, here this week. Overall, wheat futures mainly around 20 to 25 cents higher. Corn up 7 to 8, soybeans down 1 to 2. You're listening to AOA. For the American Ag Network, I'm Jesse Allen. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92 and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100 and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. This past week, we had a series of announcements from USDA Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack as they outlined nearly $2.8 billion in grants going out the door to fund Climate Smart Ag Partnerships. These are partnerships put together by businesses, cooperatives, associations throughout the ag industry looking to get projects funded so they can 
really assess different ways to improve the environment. We spoke last week with Farmers for Soil Health. They received a $95 million grant pushing to get cover crops across a 20-state area. And today we're going to dig in on another grant that was awarded. This was a $30 million grant from the USDA to the American Farmland Trust to dig into the beef supply chain. Joining us for the details is Bianca Mobius-Clune. She is the Climate Initiative Director over at the American Farmland Trust. And Bianca, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me today. Let's talk first and foremost about this specific project, $30 million coming to AFT to dig into the U.S. beef supply chain. Bianca, what aspects is AFT going to be working on? I am just first going to say I'm so grateful and really excited to be working in this space. Uh, what aspects we're working on is we are going to scale up climate smart, climate neutral beef, um, and we are going to be working across the industry with farmers and ranchers who have beef and who are uh, intending to graze it, helping them become more climate neutral by uh, networking across the space, uh, getting networks between farmers going, helping farmer mentors who are innovators in the space train others uh, to do this, and working with Integrity Beef and Indigo, Indigo Ag on the marketing and on the metrics. Interesting. So we're not just talking what's happening on the surface of the ground here with Climate Smart Ag. You're digging into marketing. You're truly into the whole supply chain. Bianca, you mentioned some of your partners. Who all will AFT be working with on this project? We've got an amazing list of partners. I'm, I'm really excited about this project. Uh, so AFT will be working with a number of both national and regional partners. Uh, some key partners are Freedom Airs Foundation, Integrity Beef Alliance Legacy Program, Indigo Ag, Earth Optics, AgriWeb, the U.S. Biochar Initiative, and Open Team at Wolf's Neck for Ag and the Environment. So those are key partners. Uh, but I also want to say that we are going to be building those partnerships. So regional, regionally and nationally, we don't have anyone on board yet who I think can really push impact in the space. And we see huge potential for this project to coordinate across other climate smart commodity projects that are also tackling this scaling up of regenerative grazing. And to do that together, all the other excellent leaders in the space, we'd, we'd really love to connect with everybody and welcome anybody with an open door to collaborate with us so that we can jointly really achieve those goals. Yeah, the partnerships that are going to be created over the next five to 10 years in ag are going to be fascinating to watch, Bianca. Let's bring it back Indeed. to this $30 million grant. Can you talk to us exactly how you plan to get started? What sort of avenues will you be pursuing first as that money gets ready to roll out the door? That's a great question. Well, we've got uh, we've got an effort right now in Virginia that we plan to scale up. Um, this project on the AFT side will be very much focused in the uh, mid-Atlantic and southeast states. I think there's a lot of opportunity for underserved producers that we can really bring in and help get a premium for beef. Uh, so we will be building up mentoring networks. We will be working with farmers who are already doing regenerative grazing uh, sending them to training so that they can get additional insights on soil health, on why it is that these practices are so effective, on how to train other producers, and we'll be facilitating mentoring networks so that those producers who really are already doing amazing things, who know a lot exactly in this space, who have that expertise, they can share that expertise with other producers in the space. Uh, so we plan to really empower those who are already doing that work um, and, and help them get connected with 
those who are interested in, in getting into this uh, into the space. Um, nationally speaking, we'll also, uh, through Integrity Beef, expand those efforts across other parts of the country. So these efforts will be open. The Integrity Beef Alliance is open to additional members to join. Um, and through those networks, we'll be rolling out educational materials and we'll be helping them get quantified uh, on, on the practices that they're putting in place and helping them get signed up to that program that will allow them to get those, uh, those premiums. And with Indigo Ag and Earth Optics, we will be quantifying the initial carbon, in, uh, initial carbon content in those soils. And then toward the end of the project, we'll go back and quantify again and see how much we've achieved so that we can really verify how much carbon we're putting into the ground and how we can scale that up and what that means about getting to climate neutral beef. All right. So we'll measure at the beginning, measure at the end. Bianca, how long overall do you anticipate this project to be? Short answer is five years. So we anticipate that we will start as soon as the project are, uh, projects are obligated, so probably this spring, and we'll finish up in 2028. Uh, but the really key thing about this project is that these funds will be an investment in scaling up infrastructure and frameworks that we expect to really continue to actually accelerate after the project is over. Um, we anticipate, for example, that the Integrity Beast Legacy Program will become self-sustaining by the time that the project ends. And what that means is that the proceeds from the growth will go back into helping new producers also manage that transition and, and bringing in others. Very cool. So Bianca, I just want to make sure I understand this program in its totality. Over the next five years, AFT and partners will be working with ranchers, getting them onto a regenerative grazing program, and then you'll be marketing that beef uh, through a, a labeled brand channel, I suppose, to folks who are willing to pay a premium. Is that really the, the overall goal? That is really the overall goal, yes. And I think that it so while Integrity Beef is sort of our, our main marketing partner at this point, we also have Regenify at the table. Um, and there is opportunity for various other ways to do the marketing, whether that's direct mar marketing at a farmer's market or one-on-one -on -one, uh, with, with folks who come to a farm, helping producers uh, build regenerative systems that are resilient, that produce with lower inputs. Uh, that's the goal of this program. And there's a lot of opportunities for marketing in this space. And I think that those opportunities are about to grow vastly because of the amount of press that this is getting, thanks to networks like yours. Uh, I think there's about to be a lot of really exciting stuff happening as we really help build capacity of our producers who produce all of our food uh, to really uh, get into the space well or continue all the amazing work that they're already doing. And Bianca, I think that's my next question. Looking out longer term, regenerative grazing, sort of the ideas and the tactics behind that, I've only been hearing about them under serious conversation for about 10 years. I know that researchers have been at it a lot longer than that, but do you feel as though the science is to a point now where we can constructively say, this is what you need to be doing in order to accomplish X carbon goal? I would say that the science is very far along and certainly far enough along for us to use what we do know. And I think that there's still more uh, to discover in that space. For example, today, we don't yet have verifiable carbon credits that can come from grazing, but that's one of the goals of this project is to really put the data behind that. Um, we will be actually mapping the carbon content of about 600,000 acres through this project. 
And I know that there are a number of other Climate Smart Commodity projects that will also be doing similar work. So I think we're about to get an amazing huge amount of data that will really help with the quantification piece in the space and with highlighting the more regional and soil-based and animal-specific uh, production methods that are necessary for farmers to adopt in order to do this as well as they possibly can. So in short, the science isn't done. There's a lot more to learn, but we have enough to hit the ground running and to really make a big impact right now. That is good to hear. Bianca, the other challenge I hear from folks in this space is that it is so soil dependent. It's so weather dependent. What you can do to combat climate change or carbon sequestration, et cetera, on your operation is so specific for each operation. At the federal level, do you think this climate smart partnership model is one that allows us to flesh out the science and experiment with new ideas over the next couple of years? Absolutely. I'm just so amazed that Finally, the dollars are being put into climate and ag. I think it is something that has been long missing because I think it's our rural communities that are really taking the brunt of climate change right now. They're feeling it with fires, with droughts, with rain. It's just our, our farmers really face that pressure. And the amazing thing about this program is that it actually allows us to put broad national projects on the ground. Um, that's something that's been really hard to do in the, in the funding space, because when you have $5 million, you can do a lot of good work, but you can't spread it across the nation. By funding $2.8 billion worth of projects that are all about partnerships and networking and liaising and actually making an impact on the ground, I think the federal government has done an amazing thing that will, will really broadly benefit all of agriculture. Doesn't matter where you are in the country, and yes, absolutely. Those soil differences, those production system differences, they are key. And part of what we can do through a program like this is to really collect data broadly in a way that we can pool in the end and hopefully use for public good so that everybody can learn from all of the work that has been done across the country. So I'm, I'm really excited. I think there's about to be real meaningful impact made in agriculture in this space. All right. And that grant gets underway, Bianca. You mentioned maybe this next spring. Can you tell our listeners where can they go to read up on what AFT has been working on, particularly in this climate smart ag area? Uh, thank you. Uh, where you can go to read up is on the American Farmland Trust website. If you go to the What's New section, that's where our blog posts, our press releases and all of that is found. And so we're working in climate smart ag across the country in various different ways, our regional programs, our national programs. And not everything's on the website yet because there's a lot coming. All right, folks, stick around. We'll have more on rural broadband when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence. 
changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. Every day has challenges. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. Success is what matters to me and my family. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Now is the time to define your future at channel.com slash future. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Will Stafford, CHS Washington representative for a farm policy update. Will, you keep track of these issues, and there have been lots of farm bill input sessions lately. What common themes have you heard from them? I would say a common theme is A, just, just get one done. This current farm bill expires in September of next year, and it's never an easy process to get a new one across the finish line. And then also from farmers and ranchers across the countryside, usually crop insurance is a number one concern. So making sure that those programs are operating well and don't receive any, any cuts or anything like that to uh, such an important program that farmers and ranchers utilize. Will, that midterm election, how could that impact the writing of the farm bill? It will be huge. Whoever controls the majority in both the House and the Senate also control the committees. Uh, so whoever has the gavels in the Senate and House Agriculture Committees will have a lot of power and influence in writing this bill. Currently, we have Democrats in control of both. So that can mean a lot of changes. We can see a shift from nutrition policy, for example, to your more basic agriculture policy like crop insurance and commodity programs. Uh, and you also see geographic shifts as well, uh, you know, southern crops versus Midwestern crops, a focus on forestry from some states, maybe dairy policy being more on the forefront. Those can all play in control. It is important to note that the Senate, it still takes 60 votes to get a bill passed. 
So likely, uh, no matter what happens in the Senate, you will still need bipartisan support to some degree to get a bill across the finish line. Well, thank you, folks. That's Will Stafford, CHS Washington Representative. Will, thanks for joining us. Always. Thanks for having me. And thank you for joining us here around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. A lot of you are likely listening to us over the air as AOA is brought to you by a lot of great local affiliate stations all across this great country. Some of you might be tuning in to the podcast version, however, and that's a reminder of just how important rural broadband is across America. And this past year, we saw a huge investment in rural broadband during the Infrastructure and Jobs Act that passed last summer, early Earlier this week, the House Ag Committee held a hearing on that rollout and rural broadband access, and it's it's been a year. I figured it was time to check in on how's it coming. Joining us today to, today to talk about that very issue is Brian Dietz. He's a senior vice president of strategic communications over at NCTA. They are the Internet and Television Association. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Great to join you. Let's talk about the rollout of funds. Last year, we saw a huge amount, I believe $65 billion invested in broadband. Brian, how much of that money has actually gotten out into the uh, into the economy? Uh, actually, zero of that money has gotten out into that economy because there are some hurdles that need to be overcome first, including the Federal Communications Commission needs to complete a new broadband map, which shows where broadband networks do exist and where they don't exist so that the money can be targeted properly. Because most importantly, really, is that this money flow to communities where they don't have broadband now. And if the money is dedicated to those communities, then we'll really take a big leap forward in solving this issue. But if money goes to communities where broadband networks already exist, then those people who don't have it may never get it. Brian, that's got to be frustrating from your perspective, trying to get these connections out there to the American people. Do you have an estimate on when FCC might get this done? Uh, the FCC is expected to finish its broadband map uh, this year, so that should be done. And then the other government agency, the NTIA, which is a branch of the Department of Commerce, um, has received the, all of the money from the infrastructure bill and then will be um just dispersing that to each of the states, and then the states will be determining which broadband projects they will be funded. So it's a big administrative um, issue that it's just going to take time to really get this money out to broadband projects. But the good news is even despite this money sitting there, there has been other uh, tens of billions of dollars already dedicated for world broadband projects. And uh, cable operators, cable broadband providers have been investing tens of billions of their own private capital to build broadband uh, networks in communities all across the country. I was actually just out in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, two weeks ago and was looking at a project from Bidco, and they're expanding to a community called Hartford, South Dakota. They're building a fiber network there. So 
these kinds of projects are already happening all across the country in in rural communities and this federal money will certainly um you know really inject um some some needed funds into getting everyone connected and Brian, that's good to hear. I'm glad we're seeing some progress on the ground there. And I'm curious, with that infrastructure, I know there was a big chunk of that $65 billion going to infrastructure. And from your perspective, broadband today, if we're putting new stuff in the ground, does it need to be fiber? Is that where the industry's going? So fiber is certainly one of the solutions, but it's not the solution for every community. Um, because some communities are just really far apart, and, and some are very hard to reach. So it's going to take a combination of technologies in order to finally close these remaining digital gaps. And some of that will be from uh, even satellite broadband and fixed wireless and some of those kinds of technologies, which are better served for reaching uh, homes that are far away or farms that are, you know, miles apart. So you can't just, uh, you can't just trench fiber across these vast geographies. And so it's going to take a combination of different technologies in order to, to solve uh, to solve this gap, but fiber is certainly part of it, and that will be, um, you know, certainly deployed throughout many communities. All right, we'll be watching for that. I've seen the fiber trucks driving around in central Iowa, so I think we're making some progress here in this part of the Corn Belt. Brian, you mentioned the delay with the FCC getting that fiber map out. I'm wondering, from a policy perspective, is there anything NCTA would like to see changed here as we head into the November elections? So I don't think there's any um, policies that necessarily need to be changed. There just needs to be, um, you know, strict adherence to the legislative uh, language in which Congress said this money really needs to go to unserved communities first before any money um, filters off to places where broadband may already exist. And that's really going to be the most important part is that there's uh, strict oversight and there's strict guardrails so that this money is dedicated to where it's needed most. So that if you're a community or you're a home that has never had broadband, that you're at the front of the line and not continue to get pushed to the back of the line. So that really will be the most critical thing to um, knowing whether we can say this mission will be accomplished in the, next, in the coming years. That makes sense. Brian, given the laws that were written this past year, the infrastructure and job acts, do you feel as though the guardrails are strong enough as they sit right now and it's just a matter of enforcing them? Uh, we feel that the legislative language was strong enough and it will be a matter of oversight and enforcement. And that's really going to be important both at the state and the federal level and the, and the community level. Because if we really do want to solve this, this problem, then we need to make sure the money goes to the places where it's needed it most. And that's, that sounds easy, but it's harder to implement. And, um, that will be, you know, critical for, for the federal government and for state and local governments to, ensure that that money goes to where it's needed most. They certainly will. We'll continue to watch. But Brian, it sounds like it's going to be a slow rollout for the foreseeable future. If folks want to stay engaged, I know NCTA keeps track of these issues. Can you give us the website and how they can keep up to speed? Sure. You can you can check us out at www.ncta.com. And we also have our social media channels, which we um, which we are regularly updating progress on this. And we you know encourage you to stay Stay tuned, and um, hopefully we'll solve this problem together. All right. Well, Brian Dietz from NCTA, thanks for joining us today. Folks, thanks all of you for tuning in today. Join us tomorrow. We're going to talk with Arlen Suderman about what is happening in the grain markets. We're also going to get a dry bean harvest update from Dean Nelson with Kelly Bean. So we'll see you tomorrow for more AOA.
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. Every day has challenges. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. Success is what matters to me and my family. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Now is the time to define your future at channel.com slash future. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council.